Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be continuing on in our passage in Philippians this morning. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you are committing some of this book to memory. Hopefully you started doing that and you found one paragraph in here and you've been working on memorizing it. Uh, if you're not, you can start today. And in fact, this paragraph that we're in today is one of the most beautiful in all of scripture. Uh, I saw this week that one of our elders' wives, like this is her paragraph. She's taking it and she's like, I'm gonna memorize this through this series. Like that would be fabulous. So if you haven't started that, I hope you will think about doing that today. Uh, Philippians chapter two, last week, Pastor Doug focused in on the one thing the one thing from verse 27 of the first chapter, letting your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Fearless unity, striving side by side for the gospel. No matter what is thrown at us externally from the outside, whether that's suffering or persecution, we are linked arm and arm in fearless unity. Now, today, the Apostle Paul's like, to do this, to strive together in this fearless unity, you need to be humble. To drive back division and strife from your midst, to be truly unified around the one thing, we must be a humble people. Let's look at these verses. Chapter two, starting in verse one, says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Verse five, have this mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> Three things from this passage this morning. The first one is this. There's the call to humility. The call to humility. Verse one says, if, if, if there is encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's comfort from his love, participation or fellowship with his spirit, affection and sympathy. I love how Paul starts here. He's starting with the gospel. 
He's saying, if these are a part of your life and the way that it's written, it's like it's supposed to be understood. If these are part of your life and they are, if you've been changed at all by the gospel and you have, if you've tasted at all the blessings of what God is for us in Jesus Christ, then do this. Verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's like, if you've experienced the gospel at all in your life, and you have, and we've seen evidence of that already so far in Philippians, if you've experienced that, do this, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is Paul's here rejoicing in what matters in this section. What matters here is their unity. Their unity, and he's like, if you will remain unified, you'll make me rejoice. If you're unified together with the same mindset so that you're fulfilling God's purpose for your life, and remember what that was back verse 27, letting your manner, letting your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, striving side by side fearlessly for the sake of the gospel. If you will do that, Church of Philippi, he's like, I will rejoice. He wants them to be unified. So you know what he does? In verse three here, he's gonna call them to humility. Humility, humility will be, I believe the predominant trait of a truly unified and fruitful local church. A church that that wants to be single-minded in its gospel focus. And if, if humility is key to unity in the church, that means that pride is the great obstacle to our unity. What if we were a church characterized primarily by humble unity rather than self-centeredness? What if we were a church that didn't squabble and fight with each other over everything, but a church that was truly humble? I'll say it this way, that was strong in humility. I'm convinced that the biblical humility really lived out in our midst, in our communities, in our various spheres of influence. It's one of the most powerful and beautiful testimonies to the gospel, especially in an increasingly hostile and angry world. And Paul says here, boy, if you were humbly unified, my joy would be complete. Let's look at this call to humility now, verse, verse three. 
says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We've seen people already in Philippians doing things from selfish ambition or conceit. It was back in chapter one, verses 15 through 18, when we saw people preaching from envy and rivalry about Paul. Conceit here, uh, it can mean vain glory. What's that mean? That's pride that has no basis, that's empty. These words are talking about an exaggerated self-evaluation that results in glory grabbing, even to the extent of being willing to push others aside or press them down and criticize them in order to make myself feel better. Uh, This week as I was preparing for this, I stopped at that point and I thought, is that how others know me? Like, and I tried to just move on really quick. And I had to come back and sit in that. Is that, it's a critical spirit. Is that how I'm known? By tearing others down with my words rather than trying to, trying to build them up. This is hard to see in the mirror sometimes too, isn't it? That's why it's so important for us that we, if we want to be truly humble as a church, if we want to identify and root out pride in our lives, that we're willing to have those conversations with each other and honest conversations with ourselves. And we're willing to ask each other and ourselves hard questions that will dig down past the surface to really root out our pride. Like motive questions. Like, why did I just think that about that person? What was I wanting there? Why did I do that? Why did I say that about them? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, but in humility, there's lots of ways to understand and define humility in the New Testament, but right here, he provides definition really for us in the immediate context. He says, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, do what? Count others more significant than yourselves. All right, this is, this is not saying others are better than you or have value that you don't have. This is not, um, I'm a loser and they are amazing. It's not what it says. It says humility is counting them, considering them, esteeming them as if they are of more significance. This is descriptive of a life that's focused on making much of others rather than myself. I heard someone this week describe it this way. They said, this is counting others more worthy of being served. He further explains it here. He's like, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you then look not only to his own interests, but also 
to the interests of others. Uh, if you've ever been on a, uh, a commercial airline, you've probably heard this public service announcement made. I feel like I need to do this in a particular voice, so bear with me. In the unfortunate event that the cabin loses oxygen pressure, oxygen masks will drop from above you. Pull down in order to start the flow of oxygen. Secure the mask by pulling on the strings. Breathe deeply. Please make sure to secure your mask before helping others. Now, I've probably insulted every single flight attendant in the room. <laughs> That's not what we all sound like. That makes good sense, doesn't it? If I'm unconscious, I can't help others. But I've always thought, like, that is an awfully optimistic view that the airlines have of all the travelers on this plane. It, do we really think that after being delayed three times, after having to sleep and eat in the airport, after having all 19 preferred categories bored before me, and because all 19 preferred categories boarded before me, because how dare I just purchase the ticket at ticket price, <laughs> I now have to check my carry-on as I'm going in because there's no overhead space. And then I'm seated between two people who refuse to share the armrest, which, side note, middle person gets the armrests. All right, you, you have one on either side of you. And now, and now after losing cabin pressure, now in a flurry of selflessness, I'm going to help as many people as possible before I literally pass out from lack of oxygen. That is very optimistic. I always, I always thought it would be a good test for like a newly dating or young married couple. Like you put them on a plane and you just drop the masks. And then whatever happens, you sort it out in marriage counseling. <laughs> Why, why do I bring this up? <laughs> Besides having experienced it recently. <laughs> I bring this up because I'm hearing this illustration a lot applied to the Christian life, right? Put your mask on first. And I think by that is what we mean is take care of yourself. Spiritually, physically, and mentally. And to that, to that, we say, yes, yes. Right? God has given us this life, this soul, this, this body. We are meant to steward them well. Correct? Yeah. We are meant to steward them well so that so that we can look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, I don't know about you, but my temptation is to put on the proverbial mask and then just keep sucking oxygen until there's not a bit of it left on the plane for anyone else. And we have to be careful because there's a, there's a way of thinking that could end up only and ever prioritizing my interests. And Paul here is saying, not only, but 
also. If we do truly value others and consider them more significant than ourselves, that's gonna be evidenced in the way that we live, in the way that we take interest in each other, in, we, in the ways that we listen to each other, in the ways that we prioritize each other, and even in the ways that we disagree with each other. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Be humble, counting others more significant than yourselves, looking not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Next, in this passage, we'll see, we see the model of humility, the model of humility. Verse five says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset, adopt the same humble mindset and attitude of Jesus Christ, which is what? He's gonna unpack it here for us in verses six through eight, okay? But as we go to verses six through eight, we need to know verses six through eight are some of the most beautifully powerful and theologically deep verses in all of scripture. Like we could, we could spend our lives and hopefully we do in some ways, mining these three verses for truth. And so this week in your small group, you can dig in even, even deeper, okay? But, but there's a reason that these are here right in the midst of this passage. So a, a few truths that are gonna help us here to see why these are in here in the whole argument, okay? Um, the first truth is this, Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Look down here. Verses, verse six says, well, five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's in the form of God. Jesus is 100% God. If you were wondering where radiant is on that, that's where we're at. He is equal with God the Father and God the Spirit and has been from eternity past. He's the second person of the triune Godhead. He's in the form of God, but look, he says, it says, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, uh, something to be held onto for his it is his advantage or his exploitation. Don't think of grasp here like reaching out and trying to grab something, all right? Adam tried to grab glory for himself. We try to grab greatness and recognition for ourselves. Not Jesus. He has it, but he doesn't cling to it. How so? That leads us into the next truth that we need to see in this passage. Jesus is fully God. Second, Jesus is fully man. He's fully man. Look at this. Who, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant and by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is fully man. He doesn't grasp. Instead of grasping, it says he does two things. He emptied and he humbled. He emptied himself. How? Well, the passage tells us says he emptied himself by, by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He emptied himself by becoming a man, fully, 100%, human like we are, yet without sin. And he puts on humanity without giving up his divine nature. He is the God-man, human and divine. All right, so, so what's happening here? So being fully God, Jesus did not cling to his divine privileges and prerogatives. He left the glory of heaven so that he could selflessly become human, a baby in a manger, and live the perfect life that we are incapable of living, and die on the cross as our substitutionary sacrifice. A.W. Tozer summarized it like this. He said, Jesus veiled his deity, but he did not void his deity. Jesus emptied himself. It also says that he humbled himself there. How did he humble himself? It tells us he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was God's will for Jesus to die for mankind. Isaiah 53 tells us that clearly. And I love how in this passage you see Father, Son, and Spirit active here in the redemptive storyline in cooperation from the beginning as the triune God. And he perfectly here obeys the Father in our place. And he willingly goes to the cross where he suffers and he dies in our place to pay our penalty to accomplish our salvation. He goes from the glory of heaven to the shame and humiliation of the cross. That's humility. He's fully God. He's fully man. And now, now, the reason why we're seeing this in the midst of this passage Third truth, Jesus died as our model and our means of humility. Jesus died as our model and our means of humility. He was our model, our example. Okay, Jesus' humility culminates here in these verses in the cross. And we're actually meant to imitate him. 
How? By dying to ourselves for the sake of others. By dying to our own selfish needs and wants and desires. By setting aside our rights or our perceived rights and privileges to count others more significant. You're like, whoa, set aside my rights or perceived rights, my privileges? But, nay, what about, and how about, but, 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 something I've noticed, by the way, in my vocabulary is that the word but, B-U-T, when I use it often, I find it's typically about ready to reveal my pride or reveal how I'm gonna attempt to justify my pride. It's a, I'm sorry, but I hear you but Jesus loves them, but you notice that? So I'd I'd encourage you, pay attention to your words. They reveal things about our hearts. I was thinking about this this week, and I got to a point where I was like, the quest for humility is so frustrating, isn't it? Because we're just bent towards pride. And I, and I feel like pride just lurks around every corner and you're always just constantly looking over your shoulder for it. I'm like, Lord, is there ever gonna be a moment in this life where you don't struggle with pride? And typically what's really interesting is when you try to be humble sometimes, you end up right back at pride. I was even doing it this week. I was like, you know, as I was going through this, like, all right, you know, this is one of those sermons where I feel like I shouldn't really be preaching it to you guys. I really need to be preaching it to myself. But you see what I did there? I just made the sermon all about me. And that's not what this passage is. He's talking to the church. This is for us. And so I just got to this point where I'm like, be humble like Jesus Really? That's impossible. That's an impossible standard. Yes. Yes. It will be if you're trying to do it in your own power. It will be if you're seeking humility by focusing simply on behavior modification. It will be if you're trying to obtain it by focusing more on ourselves than we do others. So what do we do? We lift up our eyes, that's what we do. We spend more time looking at him, considering the the gravity and the beauty of his humility on, on our behalf. See, Jesus Jesus died not simply to be our example of humility. 
He died to save us from our pride and enable us to live humbly. He's not just our example, he's our savior. He's the means by which we can even be humble by grace through faith in him. That's why back in um, verse five, he says, have this mind among yourselves, I love this, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours. How so? Well, it's his righteous humility that culminates in the cross that saves us. And in union with him by grace through faith, his righteous humility is counted as ours. And then now with his help available to us by his spirit through his word, we can imitate him. We can look to him and be humbled. He's our model and he's our means. Last thing from this passage is this, the reward for humility. The reward for humility. Look verse nine through 11 here. It says, therefore, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Real quick, side note, this is not teaching universalism, okay? What is this saying? This is saying that we will bow to King Jesus. And there are two choices. We can bow willingly to him as Savior and Lord, or we will be compelled to bow in recognition of who he is. Bow now. <laughs> so, he, so he empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore, for this reason, God has highly exalted him. The father vindicates the son. His glory from eternity past is, is restored, but now, but now it's highly, it's super exalted. Why? because now he's exalted as the God, man, Jesus Christ, Lord. Pastor Doug refers to it this way, the resurrected, glorified, magnified King Jesus. The sovereign God of the universe is Jesus of Nazareth. And we do and we will worship him as that. But last cool thing from this passage, here's what's neat. God promises that we will be rewarded for humility. First Peter chapter five says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he does what? He gives grace to the humble. <laughs> 
reward. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. There's reward for humility in, in this life. What is it? Well, in this passage, it's unity. The overflow, the product of humility, the reward for that in our lives and as a church in this life will be unity. We will be a family not divided over silly opinions or tertiary doctrines or preferences. We'll be a faith family unified in humility, together, humbly, and fearlessly united for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. But there's not just reward in this life, there's also reward in eternity. When God raises us up on the last day, any suffering or persecution that we have experienced because of humbling ourselves will be no more when Christ returns. And not only that, try to wrap your head around this. We will have the joy of ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Reward. I want us to end this morning asking a question of ourselves. Um, Who is one person in your life that you don't want to serve? (laughs) Who's one person that you would rather not consider more significant than yourself? Think about that for a second. It didn't take me very long. (laughs) Okay, now, what is one way that you can serve them this week. And maybe, maybe the situation you're thinking about, the thing that you need to do in order to serve that person, to consider them more significant than yourself, is you need to spend some time praying for them this week. Maybe as you think about this, you need to spend some time repenting to the Lord for the way that you've thought about this person. Maybe this week you need to actually go to them and ask their forgiveness. If this was was easy, we wouldn't need Jesus to do it, would we? If this was easy, it wouldn't have required that he die to make it possible. One person, one way, and here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read verses five through 11 one more time over us, and as, as I do and we prepare to worship together, just spend a minute and lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up off of yourself. Reflect on his beauty and his example and in gratitude and awe, 
just here for a minute. Ask him to drive selfishness from us and humble us. Right now, even in this room, so that we, as a, as a local church, as the body of Christ, would humbly and fearlessly strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and he has bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.